Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back. Robert Jubin with us. Robert, uh, your book, The Case for Space, a fantastic book that has come out. The subtitle, How the Revolution in Spaceflight Opens Up a Future of Limitless Possibility. What is that revolution as far as you're concerned? Well, the revolution is the entrepreneurial revolution. Uh, of course, the prime example is SpaceX, the uh-huh. Elon Musk's company. Um, you know, um, they have shown that it is possible for a well-led entrepreneurial team to develop new space technologies in one-third the time at one-tenth the cost than had been considered uh, normal by uh, the government-led space program and uh, even do things that were considered impossible altogether, such as having reusable launch vehicles that instead of crashing into the ocean, uh, come back and land at the launch pad so they can be used again. And in consequence, they have, over the past 10 years, introducing first the Falcon 9s and the Falcon Heavies um, as mostly reusable rockets, uh, cut the cost of space launch by a factor of five. It, it had been flat uh, uh, from 1970 to 2010. Since 2010, it's come down by a factor of five. And because other people are starting to copy them, they're not settling for that. They're developing a fully reusable heavy lift booster called the Starship, which will cut it down by at least another factor of 10. So we've gone from $10,000 a kilogram to $2,000 a kilogram, and they're looking at going to $200 a kilogram. Musk has been talking a lot about going to Mars, and I suspect he probably got that idea from you. Well, um, I, I certainly helped recruit him to the cause, okay, and other people did too, and, and his, but his accomplishments are his own, okay? I, I can't take credit for anything that he's accomplished other than helping to convince him to devote his efforts in this direction. Um, and um, But what they're doing is incredible. I, I visited Elon down in Boca Chica in Texas earlier this year, and they're not building a ship. They're building a shipyard. Okay, they're they're there for turning these things out. Right now, they're turning them out at a rate of one a month. Pretty soon, it'll be one a week, and and eventually, Elon hopes to have them turning them out one a day. Is it like Cape Canaveral? I mean, it's going to be that kind of size, maybe bigger. Uh, Well, it it is that size, uh, but it's not like Cape Canaveral. Cape Canaveral is designed to launch, you know, a rocket, uh, okay, they they have launched a rocket, uh, you know, one week after another, but the average launch rate out of Cape Canaveral is, you know, one every uh, uh, two weeks or so, and, and of course, space shuttles launched at a rate of, you know, one every uh, several months, Uh, okay, these people... I don't know, this is something more like a World War II shipyard turning out Liberty ships with a new ship every week. That's what this place is like. And and that's his vision. Okay, he okay, and by the way, the, the Starship, um the first uh one that is designed for flight, this is uh they've gone through seven test units. Now this is number eight, uh, and it is getting ready 
uh, I think they will aim for a flight not to orbit, but high up into the stratosphere uh, before the end of this year. That is, within the next two months, I think we're going to see Starship fly to an altitude above, say, 60,000 feet and, um, and come back and land. That's the idea. And here's the thing. If it fails, they've got another one almost ready. Ready to go, and and they'll fix it. Number nine will come up at bat within a couple of weeks. And and that's how they're doing this. They they understand that they're going to take losses, and they're prepared to take it. You know, NASA built a total of five space shuttles over, you know, whatever it was, 20 years. of. uh, uh, Well, the program lasted 30 years, but... Uh, okay, well, over the 30-year program. They, they started out with four, and they built one more. Uh, these guys, um, you know, by the time they start orbital operations with these things, they'll probably have at least 20 or 30 of them uh, uh, built, and they'll be turning out additional ones every, every week and then faster. Uh, when I was there, they probably had about 300 people working on the site. Now, uh, I'm sure it's over a thousand, and uh, I think it'll be uh, this time next year more like uh, three or four thousand. And, and when they build, and if something goes wrong, like you said, it could crash, and they have another one ready. Will they know why it crashed and fix it so it doesn't happen on the next one? In general, yes. Uh, I mean, they'll have all kinds of instrumentation on it to try to. Uh, uh, you know, especially these early flights, they're going to want to understand everything that's happened. And so if something does go wrong, they'll be able to determine it. But here's the thing. Let's say even they're wrong and they fix the wrong thing. Then they'll have, you know, that will eliminate that wrong guess and they'll try again. That's their approach. Fly it, crash it, fix it, fly it again. That's how these people are tearing into this thing. You know, um, the, you know the SLS program, NASA's Space Launch System program, the design for it, I actually participated in its preliminary design in 1988. It has yet to fly. It may have its first test flight in a couple of years. Before Starship starts actual flight operations, they'll probably have 10 test flights. And furthermore, they'll have, you know, several dozen of these things ready um, to, to go into action if one should fail. And, and, and Robert, what's happening with Jeff Bezos and his company, Blue Origin? Well, they're slower. And, I mean, I have to say, uh, in the book, in the case for space, I discuss both of these and say, well, here's the two um, main contenders. Um, you know, Musk is very rich. Bezos is Ten times as rich as right. He's just—he's not plowing in as much cash as Musk is, is he? Well, no. I actually think Bezos is plowing in more cash. Really? Than Musk is. Oh yes. Uh, the the, but he's not putting in the passion. Uh, the uh, he he you know for him he's just throwing in some money and you know his and letting it happen and letting it happen. Musk is driving this thing. And I have to say, because I, I, I saw this guy, you know, in Boca Chica, and then I, I interviewed him um, just a couple of weeks ago, because um, uh, as part of the Mars Society conference, he, he, this guy has been working very hard. He, he you know, exhibits 
you know, near exhausting. And it shows, it's wearing on him, but the results show. They're accomplishing incredible things. So they, they are outpacing uh, 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 Blue Origin, uh, for sure. And now it's possible, you know, I mean, look, Musk's taking a lot more risks. I mean, if you don't fly, you don't have any risks. Okay. Musk takes plenty of risks. He sure does. But, he sure but does. you know, nothing great has ever been accomplished without risk. What is the Musk plan for sending humans to Mars? All right. The Musk plan, okay, is to use this thing called the Starship. Um, the Starship uses methane oxygen propellant, okay? And so he is able to use the plan that I first laid out in uh, the case for Mars, and which is also uh, spelled out in the case for space, of direct flight to Mars, make your return propellant on Mars, methane oxygen propellant, methane fuel, natural gas as the fuel, oxygen as the oxidizer to burn the fuel. You can make that on Mars. We've demonstrated how to do it in the lab. The The ingredients are right there on the surface of Mars. Plenty of water, much more than the moon, even with these discoveries, vastly more. There's giant glaciers on Mars. There's much water as the Great Lakes of North America. Um, and then a carbon dioxide atmosphere. With water and carbon dioxide, you can make methane and oxygen, so you can refuel on the surface of Mars. So it's direct flight to the surface of Mars. Make your return fuel on the surface of Mars and direct flight back. And that's how the Starship does it. Now, the Starship has two stages. Okay. The booster stage takes off the pad, and it flies to about one-third orbital velocity and pretty much more or less to the edge of the atmosphere. And then the upper stage takes off of it. The booster then returns to the pad where it launches and it can be where it launched from and so it can be refueled and used again. The upper stage then goes into orbit. Now, in Musk's plan, as it is currently written, he will have additional starships that will go to orbit with fuel. These are tanker starships, and they will refuel the starship that is on orbit with enough fuel for it to then go from orbit to Mars and land on Mars. Um, it will not have enough fuel to go land on Mars and come back. That's impossible. But it can go and land on Mars, and we can make the return fuel on Mars. And, of course, the way you do this is you make the return fuel before you go. So the first thing you want to do on Mars is establish a gas station on Mars. And you do that robotically. So you would, you know, in the Mars Direct plan, we'd send the Earth return vehicle to Mars with its propellant-making plant built into it. In, in the Starship plan, you send a Starship in advance to Mars, and you set up a propellant-making facility there. And, um, and, and you can use the Starship itself with its big tanks as, as the fuel depot. Uh, you fill it with fuel and, and then either use that as your return ship or just use it as your gas station and transfer the fuel to the return ship when it arrives with the crew. But in either case, there's no issue of stranding the crew on Mars without fuel because you had to make the fuel and it didn't work out. The fuel right. has already been made before you ever leave Earth. Well, that's a good thing. And, you know, you have proposed for years for us to start terraforming Mars, building an atmosphere there. When are we going to do that? Because it's a great idea. Well, I think that will follow settlement. 
okay, because it's a big job, okay? And it takes a long time. Well, it takes a long time, but with any projection based on our technology. But you have to realize that the people who, who begin terraforming Mars, say, 50 years from now, are going to have much more advanced technology that, that, than we have today. And the people who will carry it through 100 years from now will have even more advanced technology. So, I mean, look, you know, go to an airport. I mean, I, I, a year ago I came in, I was on a plane, I landed, and it was night, and I was just looking around at all these planes, you know, standing around, and uh, somewhere on the runway, and somewhere at the jetways, and they're blinking their lights, and all these, you know, you know, forklifts and things were driving around. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, to someone of a hundred years ago, or certainly 150 years ago, this is a science fiction landscape. I mean, this is like something That's out right. of a dream. Uh, a modern airport with these giant jets and the flying around, these things that weigh 200 tons flying across the ocean at 500 miles an hour. To people 150 years ago, I mean, they didn't even have automobiles, let alone jets. And, 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 and this is incredible. So, People 100 years from now are going to have technologies that um, will be able to terraform Mars much faster than, for instance, the way I lay out in the book The Case for Mars. The fact that I can lay out a plan that will do it, and, and the plan is to first warm the planet by producing very powerful greenhouse gases, uh, and then once it's warm and you, you've melted the ice and so the rivers are flowing and the atmosphere is thickened because carbon dioxide has outgassed out of the soil, then you start spreading plants all over the place and they start making oxygen. Um, you know, people 100 years from now probably have self-replicating machinery um, that is uh, robots that can reproduce uh, and, and the, build themselves, in which case you've got a workforce that can build itself and go do all this. And, and um, you know, these ideas are, are very science fiction-y today, but once again, a modern jet airport, anything remotely resembling it would have been beyond science fiction to someone in, in Jules Verne's time. The big question, Robert, is why go to Mars? Why do we need to? Well, okay. Um, the NASA program is oriented at going to Mars for the science. And that is a valid reason to go to Mars. Mars is the key for letting us know the truth about the prevalence and potential diversity of life in the universe. And, you know, life is self-replicating machinery, and, but we only know one form of it. Um, you know, we're beginning to learn how to program microbes, and they are self-replicating micro-machines that could do all sorts of things if you, if you could master the programming language of DNA and RNA, but life on Mars, and I think there probably is life on Mars that's waiting for us to discover it. If it's different, if it doesn't use RNA, if it uses a different information system, the knowledge we could gain from that in terms of capabilities but for engineering and medicine and biotechnology it would be fantastic. Okay, so that's one reason to go to Mars. Okay, but the, the, there's a bigger reason to go to Mars. And that is to create the future, to create new branches of human civilization. I mean, world, where would the world be today if America had not been created? Okay, yeah, yes, Europeans who came here, maybe they thought they'd make money. You know, the Spanish looted some gold from the Aztecs and 
some other people did some other things, but that's all. And who cares, right? You know that some people in England or somewhere made some cash on the deal. That that's not important. What is important is is a new inventive branch of human civilization had been created, which you know showed the world the power of democracy and electricity and aeroplanes and computers and the internet and all this stuff. And and so so it it's our contributions to civilizations you create martian nations new nations okay with new literatures new inventions new social systems new ideas new tales of great deeds to inspire people to go even further that is something truly grand that that is the most important thing we could do today is to create that because we're creating the future we are indeed and uh you have to go it's the only way to find out about uh, life itself, don't you think? It's the only way to find out. If we don't go, we won't know. And you have to create. You know, if you don't create the future, someone else will. And it might not be the kind of future you want to see. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern. And go to coasttocoastam.com for more.